All right, cool. And we're going. <laughs> well, let's see if I, on my very professional notes, well, yeah, I can start with the obvious stupid question. What the hell is a ghost engine? <laughs> hmm. Do you have a pithy, you have, to, you have to have a polished response for your round oh, of, man, uh, for the junket, yet. you know? <laughs> um, I don't know. That, that was actually a last minute thing. I had been calling, the entire time I'd been writing the book, I've been calling it Notability. Notability? Yeah. Huh. And it was... Um, but it, Ghost Engine is yours, or was it yeah. suggested by no, somebody? No, I made the title. Oh, yeah, okay. It was, um, I was calling it Notability because, you know, uh, when you go on Wikipedia, mm -hmm. the editors will sometimes fight, it, fight about whether a subject is notable or not. And so... Um, Do you have a Wikipedia? No. Me neither. No. Yeah. And... Uh, but it's so the idea was originally I was taking these kind of like very public concepts like an episode of the Cosby show or the, uh, the Lords of Chaos like the black metal murderers and mm. stuff like that yeah. <laughs> and I was like trying to write stories that actually fit within the occurrences of real life but that could explain them in weird ways mm. or that would be and so but like that they had been left out of the public record for not being notable mm. and so that was the the idea behind it, but then when I started including the stories about Frag and Watt, um, yeah. I actually, before I started calling it Ghost Engine, I was calling it Rococo, um, because Frag and Watt, the names come from the... Well, yeah, I was, I was going to follow up about <laughs> the, like, yeah, we, we, we can get into that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but ultimately, I mean, the Ghost Engine just popped into, that's what they were working on, I just made it up. Um, but so that was it. Wasn't a reference to something that's no. Like ultimately, like the the operant metaphor is that the book itself is a ghost engine, and that's why, like, if you look at the table of contents, it says organs and stuff like that. So that's ultimately the way it mm. panned out, and also because the name had a little more mystery, and maybe I'll pick it up than Rococo or yeah <laughs> notability. So huh. So when uh, yeah, I mean, I th I thought of it as like that. <laughs> This is very, very professional. My, my, my sound engineers will clean this all up in, in post. In post. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I like thinking about that ghost engine and what it could be, you know, but like, you know, I mean, it could be something as big as, you know, inspiration, you know, like, like when like a piece of art becomes something out of nothing, you know? Yeah. That's well, because that's what they keep working. They keep tinkering with this thing that won't fly, you know, but it's it's good. It's just open enough that it can be a lot several different things, which is yeah. It's it's a great name for a book, I think. Uh, but so when did uh, the the uh, frag and watt start? I, I I did a little bit of homework and saw that there was at least one of those stories was published a while ago. The frag. So why two Rococo French painters? Like <laughs> why did why was that an inspiration? And like even in the in the dedication, it's your. You're dedicating it to somebody named Timothy, uh -huh. who's who's your, who's the Fragonardi or Watteau. <laughs> so, so where where that's like, yeah. why why those that period of, uh -huh. of all things? Well, <laughs> it's, I mean, at the at the really most basic level, like the reason that Timothy's referenced in so many places in the book is he's my brother. He's uh, four years younger than me, but okay. he's actually probably aside from my wife and kid, he's probably the person I'm most closest to in the world. Oh, okay. And, um, when we were much younger, we toured Europe together, 
and uh, pretended that uh, we, we obviously went and saw a lot of art. Yeah. But it was a joke between us that we thought that the Rococo era was the, the very pinnacle of art in the West, which we don't really believe. <laughs> oh, so it's sort of like an ironic thing, because that's, yeah, that's uh, not the most obvious or fashionable thing for like an American <laughs> to latch on to, right. is this very flowery and like strange period of French right. art that, yeah, yeah I, I don't know how many people are into that. <laughs> I mean, actually, it inspired me to go back and look at some of that stuff because uh -huh. it's not, never been my favorite, uh -huh. but like, especially some of those Watteau paintings are really good. Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah, like, it's sort of deceptive uh, because they're so on the surface flowery and kind of like pretty, but there's dark shit that's going on in them and there's people in masks and... Mm -hmm. Bad stuff is happening, but it's a, it's behind this facade of prettiness, you know. Yeah. That's I mean that's where it ended up for us, where yeah. it became like we would just riff as Fragonard and Watteau, and none of that was actually used in the book. Yeah. But it was like um, the the joke being that how could we demonstrate that Rococo is actually very important as art? Mm. Like yeah. Um, but I think there is something like that. You know, the um, it emerged from the Baroque, which was. Yeah. Uh, uh, political pro propaganda even if yeah. it was beautiful yeah and it was like this kind of perversion of that style yeah. in a way that you know baroque was uh catholic propaganda yeah uh, it was anti you know at least as it was taught to me it was uh anti what years is baroque I'm, I'm i suck at years but it was just before so like is it late late 17th century yeah. to into yeah. early 18th because yeah watteau was beginning of yeah. 18th century and then yeah. Fragonard's a little bit later yeah and so it's like there's this, you know, secularizing of these techniques mm -hmm. that then yeah. become more and more ornamental. Yeah. And the the joke that I was making when I was calling it Rococo to myself was that like um, you could slip any ideology in or any weird philosophy in underneath all of that ornamentation because it's so grossly, you know, uh, and loud. It's it's loud. You know what I mean? Um, and it's you know it's the it's a in my way, a perversion of the, the whole uh, Hemingway idea of you know subtlety as like the the iceberg thing, mm. like, you know that everything's like underneath. And I yeah. I generally tend to agree with that, but yeah. I think you could still be massively unsubtle on top at that tip. You know? <laughs> so, yeah. Huh. Yeah. And yeah, I mean they become since they're you know they they occur the, these the frag and Watt stories kind of like. They're like kind of like the narrators or something of of the book. They mm -hmm. pop in every now and again with these short little, little like. They're usually not the like the stories with the biggest gravity or anything. Mm -hmm. Like they're not the heaviest, but they're like like these kind of like the peanut gallery or mm -hmm. something. Or like, they're like Akbar and Jeff or something. Uh -huh. You know, like yep. these these two guys that are just. Yeah, commenting on stuff, but yeah, I I initially planned it to be like this will explain, it'll it'll provide the ideological framework for the book, yeah. And in the in the first story, I think it's pretty clearly is. It's like it's yeah. kind of like this is our this is our orientation toward popular culture, and this is how we're going to treat it. And like, um, but as I went going, you know, went on, it just got more and more esoteric to where it's uh, it's not as clear an ideological framework as I initially meant it to be um, but yeah and I, mean, I mean yeah by right. the end they're not like it's clear that they're not really human they're, they're some kind of mythological beings uh -huh. because they're taking each other <laughs> right. literally apart uh -huh. and like what happens in the end for them you know? uh -huh. don't want to give it away but, you know, like. <laughs>
I mean, it's 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 like a semi hopeful end for them, but but kind of gory. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, which is like the best we can hope for. <laughs> yeah. Well, because but they like they like lose their their physical structure, but they like some sort of spirit remains. Uh-huh. Some they're, they're the ghost engine. I don't you know like. I mean, it's, I mean, it's like the, or they're the thing that powers it. You right. Know? I mean, I am uh, clearly. You know, there's the the whole in losing guitar in general, but in postmodern, or specifically, but in postmodern theory in general, there's that whole concept of the body without organs mm. as uh, as an ideal. And like the thing is, is I've always really kind of enjoyed having a body. And so <laughs> while while formally I use a lot of the techniques that came out of postmodernism, uh, I think I'm trying to nudge things back to a certain core and to a certain coherence that I I think is missing from a lot of what's called postmodern writing. You know? mm. Well, yeah, I, I mean, like, one of the things that struck me, like, reading it was how you, you sort of you give a lot more gravity or weight to a lot of this kind of, like, vapid pop culture shit, you know? Like, you make it sound a lot more interesting than like, <laughs> I ever found it, you know? Like, I mean, like, you, you know, you spin way out on this whole, like, the Gordon Gartrell shirt thing. Uh-huh. I mean, it's just it's kind of bonkers. <laughs> yeah. It's <laughs> like where you give him this whole life, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's weird, and I try to look around. Like, was there an actual Gordon Gartrell, or is that a totally made up so, thing? There was. It was the core of that was the episode of the Cosby Show with the shirt. Yeah, with the shirt, and all I did was take that. I don't know. I, I think one time I looked it up, and that there was somebody who worked on the show that they took the name from or yeah. something like that. But um, no, there was yeah, because they had the logo logo with the yeah. two G's and yeah. stuff, which kind of looks like Gucci yeah. or something, but like. <laughs> Yep. isn't quite yeah and so the the stories were meant they were written those particularly the ones that directly address popular culture were meant to talk to each other and so I had actually written the bridesmaid story was the first written of the whole book mm. and it was um, that was actually Chicago based because it was uh Remember Jonathan Messenger's Dollar Store show? No. Oh, Jonathan used to run this show called The Dollar Store, and it was intimately tied to Featherproof. Like when I knew, like I, my book wasn't out, my last book wasn't out yet, but they invited me out to do a reading, and Jonathan would send you a piece of garbage from the dollar store, and you had one month to write a story about it, and it had to be read in ten minutes or less on the uh. stage. And so Jonathan sent me uh, this kind of iron-on sequin that said Bridesmaid, and I was like, well. It would be really obvious of me to write a story about an actual bridesmaid. Yeah. So I invented the band, and then I don't know if you followed the uh, uh, footnote, but like I actually recorded their song. Yeah, I listened uh, to it. Yeah. <laughs> it took me a second. I, I forgot what bridesmaid was. It was the band. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was. So while, but while I was um, all the colors of the rainbow adding, <laughs> adding up to black. Yeah. So, but that, there's a anecdote about Gall from Gorgoroth in there where I attribute him his boyfriend Gordon Gartrell and that was just a spur like I like, yeah. like I was kind of and so I was like well I'll write Gordon Gartrell's story now yeah um, about a disappointed fashion designer yeah yeah that yeah I don't know I, I'm, I'm always uh, yeah I, I guess uh, impressed with people that can make something actually resonant out of it, like the, the plastic world, you know, like uh, that. And then, uh, I also really liked uh, the, the, your, um, 
Oh uh, yeah, the, this is from the the, the Galt's Gulch thing. The the rideshare service called Unfair. <laughs> my, my mine was gonna like I think Uber should have been just called Heil. <laughs> you know, like, right? like yeah. let let's just not not pussyfoot uh, at all. Like uh, you know, I already have man. Uber. You know, like make it total nuts. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, unfair I liked too. <laughs> yeah, um so Yeah, so uh I read uh you know, I read a, a, there's not that many interviews with you, but there's a couple, there's a few. Uh-huh. And uh like in in one of them I was I was interested how you, you came up with this whole thing with, for your no- novel novel Tuflahoma from like a and like a mistake in a scrawl, uh-huh. in a crawl, on a uh-huh. sports. So like, are you? Is that like a? Are do you? Are you kind of, kind of always on the, on the watch for that? Like stuff like like Mondegreens, you know, like or like you know, with that you know, it's a misheard mm-hmm. lyric. Yeah. Like like shit like that. Mm-hmm. Like that seems to be like a fruitful jumping off point. Yeah. No, that's. I mean, yeah. to me, because because the. Like plot and ideology are generally pretty. Like, I love reading books with plot, but like as a writer, like uh-huh. following a plot or something like that is the boringest part of writing. You know what I mean? It's like mm. when you know what's going to happen. Is so the linguistic accidents are the, the best thing about it for me. And so it's like, um, you know, we were talking before about this book that I'm currently working on, mm-hmm. and it was. Um, based on a mishearing of you know the 23rd psalm the lord is my shepherd i shall not want mm. um and so like it's a frequently read at funerals and it's a mm. it's a poem of comfort basically yeah uh, but the last line is uh surely surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all of the days of my life and i shall dwell in the house of the lord forever and uh as a child i heard surely goodness and mercy shall follow me as surely goodness and mercy so i always imagined a mom named surely goodness and her daughter mercy. <laughs> nice <laughs> and like so the whole book is structured around this mishearing about what it would mean for this old lady and her daughter to be following your <laughs> when i was first uh learning english when i first, when we first got to america mm-hmm. i remember the uh the teacher would always uh, threaten us with missing recess. So uh-huh. you're gonna miss recess, and for the longest time, I thought miss recess was a person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. Yeah. So yeah, one of one of the other things I was surprised to find was that you, you had a thing in in uh, what's his name's uh, Dan Sinker's cell stories. Do you have a thing published on his in cell story? Like yeah, the 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 the, the, the stories on the phone on the uh-huh. cell phones. Uh-huh. Yeah, which I also did too. That was like a short-lived, interesting project uh-huh. that he kind of abandoned after a while. Yeah, you know, um, I only found out that I did by accident. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, because um, there was some featherproof connection there. Oh, probably. And um, so Zach had that thing where he did the download your own chat book. And put it together, and so that was. It was like early days for like you know like like as the smartphones evolved, there's more and more of it. But like that was an early experiment in getting literature onto phones. And so it was like it was. um, I didn't really even know that I had had a story in it. It was. Oh, so you didn't submit it yourself? No, I told um, when Zach was 
and Jonathan were working to get the word out about the upper possibility is uh -huh. I was like go go nuts man oh, <laughs> so that was just like yeah. it was like a, yeah publicity thing yeah that makes sense the, the other surprising thing is the, like that you know for somebody that has a flip phone etc and stays off the social media like there's some there's bits and pieces of Twitter like uh -huh. is that like a recent development Twitter um, or like is it just sporadic? Well, like I finished, it was an experiment. <laughs> I finished this book before I was ever on Twitter. Uh huh. Um, but I mean, one of the things as a and I now that I'm on it, I despise that website. It's just yeah. it's, it's a horrible place. It was like just this morning I was checking my notifications and my kid was looking over my shoulder, and it went from like uh, an essayist that I really admire, this guy Wesley Yang, um, followed immediately by Donald Trump. And there was no context for how Trump had made its way into my timeline or anything sure. like that. Yeah. And the tweet was from like June, you know what I mean? And like I yeah, was trying yeah. to explain to my kid how hard you have to work to contextualize anything in Twitter. Yes. But that book was written before I ever went on Twitter. And what it was was like uh, when I, uh, when you read articles now, news articles are often just compilations of Twitter comments. Right? Sure, yeah. And so it's like, so I felt like I was familiar with it already, and I felt like I could survive it when I signed up for it. But when yeah. I signed up for it, I was like, "This is a hellscape." Like, this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. I I, I quit uh, in 2015, uh -huh. which I, I think saved my sanity because it was before the yeah, yeah. all the election shit started uh -huh. and Trump took over Twitter. Basically, I don't know how anybody can be on there because it's his. Uh -huh. You know, like like I mean, why, why even you know pretend? Like, you know, he won. Everybody else lost. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know where it all ends up. But, uh, <laughs> I, I finally signed up. The reason I signed up for it was actually very weird. It was that yeah. I got, um, like, I still have a Google alert that I set up in, like, 2007 or something like that. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, I, like, a year, a year and a half ago, I got a, an alert that I was tweeting and so I went oh, some, somebody and, started yeah, it was like I had assumed that I was the, and, and to for all intents and purposes my family was the only Tabordo family because it's a misspelling you know yeah. what I mean and it was like yeah. the only Tabordo family in the world mm. and now there's a whole family in the Philippines that spells it the same way really yeah and so I was like so I was like I better just at least document my presence here <laughs> just yeah. so that I can always point to this is the Christian Tabordo uh, yeah yeah <laughs> So it's fun. I mean, yeah, that starts to be like one of your stories. Yeah. I mean, yeah, like, right. like I, I sort of am surprised, you know, like that you probably want to encourage the confusion, you know? Like, you know what I mean? Well, I was up for tenure at the time. So was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. It, yeah, at this point, yeah, it's hard, like, yeah, if you get involved in any of these media companies, they will want you to do all this shit, you know? And, yeah, like, yeah, I shoot myself in the foot and make things very difficult with anybody that gets involved with me because I flat out refuse to do any of it anymore. But I feel like I put in the time. Like, I was on there because I'm so compulsive. Like, I was just doing it all the time. I couldn't, I couldn't stop. I couldn't moderate it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think it's wise, and I think that's probably the way to do it. And I know that the longer I go without checking, mm -hmm. the clearer my head feels. Yeah. But it's also the... I, you know, we live in the third biggest city in the country, yeah. and I now find that I have to, generally, I have to, 
in order to know what my friends are doing or like what events of theirs I should be at, I feel like I have to be on Twitter now. You know what I mean? Yeah. So no one even bothers to email you anymore. You know, except your closest friends will say, "Are you going to go to this or something like that?" But yeah, people part, people are not into email. Yeah. Uh, I, I found that out. <laughs> I am. Like, uh, I, I like email a lot. I like email and I like texting and I don't like the other things. Yeah. <laughs> and it makes it difficult. Yeah. So yeah, I have to make a conscious effort to look up. You know, like websites for bars like the Empty Bottle, just to see what shows are coming up. Or, I mean, you know, a few of the nicer friends will actually text me or email me if they have something, you know, because they know I won't find out about it otherwise. You know, yeah, uh, yeah. It's a, it's, a, it's a very very strange world now that we live in. <laughs> so, so where do you see this book in, like, you know, your the, the span of like, uh -huh. so you you have four four what, four novels published and another short story collection uh -huh. published and then you said you had a couple more books that are not published but done uh -huh. like where where do you see it I've only read the the two short story collections okay and I I could see the di differences and similarities between those uh -huh. like yeah but uh, well I think. Um, it's weird because I prefer to write short stories. You do. And if there was a, there were a path to being a part of this world, like, and I don't, I don't think of this as a profession because I don't get paid enough for writing to, to think of mm. it as a profession. You know what I mean? Um, but if there was a way to stay active in all of this and mm. only ever write short stories, yeah, it would be a dream for me. You know what I mean? But it's like, it's so you feel pressure to write now to write long, like. Longer yeah, well, narratives. I, feel, I don't feel. I would never sit down and write a novel just because, um, because it would make me famous or something. Yeah. like that. it's not. I mean, because I won't get famous. You know? Yeah. Um, it's. Uh, Did you ever think you would? No. In never. Fact, the, it's one of the things that I have to remind myself when I'm frustrated is that I have a much better life than I ever imagined for myself. Yeah. You know what I mean, like when I, I remember being in grad school, one arguing with classmates who thought they were going to make a ton of money off of this. You know. There's the, people in, grad, oh, yeah. in, in writing, you, you went yeah. to a writing program, yeah. right? Yeah, Syracuse, Syracuse, yeah. Very good MFA program. And they, program. they thought they'd become like, like whatever, Brett Easton Ellis or something? I or like, I, I don't I know. I think I was the only one that liked Ellis at that program. Well, well I mean, well, yeah, no. not, not controversial, yeah. but like, yeah. but successful. Have, have, um, and a handful so of like, us he, he doesn't on. make a living off writing right. either anymore, right. you know. But yeah, like a handful of <laughs> that cohort have gone on to make serious, I mean like Cheryl Strait is, is Oh, you went to school you know, with her? Yeah, and oh, okay. she's yeah. huge and, and deservedly so. But yeah. I think, like when I was on, when I was at grad school, it was like, yeah, there was, it was, there was one yeah, night my first. You, you Libis. <laughs> well, that... I went to high school together. Right. Yeah. So that was. I figured that must have been a real detail. Like, yeah, yeah. No, that had to be like too too weirdly specific <laughs> to be totally made up. Right. Yeah. yeah, but that was. The, I mean, that was in that story. That was because that that second section of that story is. Largely true. I mean, it's like there's the part that's from your point, yeah. the narrator's point yeah. of view, I not mean, not from the, right. the letter, not from the email. Right. Yeah, um, I made myself most of it. intentionally yeah, look worse than, yeah. I, than I am. But, well, sure. Um, but in the yeah, in the first part, it's weird because that no such girlfriend existed yeah. and things like that. But um, it was true that as in the small group of artists weirdos in high school, uh -huh. um, you know, like I was the one that already was like, I want to be a writer, I want to go do this, and I don't know how So you always it. wanted to be a writer, but, was, or very early on? Yeah, it was 
my parents were both ministers, and so they right. did. They wrote sermons every week, and they were fantastic writers of sermons. Yeah. Um, and so it was like I knew that there would never be a point in my life where writing was not a part of my life. So were you ever pressured to go into the family business? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> did you? Did you? Like? Um, did you? No, I never. I mean, they. My. You know, so I was like from a. I was an elder in the church when I was mm-hmm. in high school, um, but they. Uh, they never pushed like as a profession, but yeah, it was something that I considered for a long time, and then um, I studied religion academically at college for a long time and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just that I could never. The the psychological pressure on a minister is insane, um, for one, um, because you really do feel spiritually responsible for all 300 of your parishioners at all times. Yeah. But also because um, obviously I don't have easy answers to give people. Yeah. <laughs> a, yeah. Um, How big a congregation did they did they work in different in the same church? No, they were co-pastors their entire co- career. Oh, really? And, and now how my big was their? Taken over my dad's church. Oh, wow! Yeah. How big was their congregation? Um, it swings between two and three hundred. Oh, wow! Um, yeah. Must have been difficult to disentangle yourself it from was. from, from yeah. that. And they they've all been extremely generous with me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, my dad. So you weren't like just. You know, no. cast up, cast up out <laughs> or whatever, like to wander. The, you know, no, my dad is like, weird. My dad doesn't um, read my work, and he admits that to my face. Yeah, uh, but he also will go to my readings and really enjoys when I do a reading. Um, so it's uh, it's funny the uh, the story about the the kids in the hot air in the in the flying machine. It, it so made me think of. Do you ever see uh, Andre Rublev? So. Maybe my favorite movie ever, huh. but it, it's about this uh, this I- Russian icon pa- painter named huh. Andrei Rublev. Okay. It's a it's a it's a Tarkovsky okay. movie. Okay. Uh, but it starts with with the, these guys like going up in a hot air balloon, uh-huh. like in the in like I don't know the 16th or 15th century or something, and and these people on Earth trying to drag them like they're he's flying, uh-huh. but like then he crashes to Earth. Huh. And I kept waiting for the crash, but it doesn't happen in your uh, story. Huh. Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, yeah. <laughs> that I mean, one I, sort of got a sweet ending, that, yeah, that story. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. And it's, I mean, it's weird because what I'm thinking, like I do really identify with the mother in that story. Mm-hmm. And, and um, if there's a through line to the, to the collection, it's like, yes, it's fun to try all kinds of things. And it's fun to yeah. admire people who do really big things. But like, also, there's a lot of fun going on down here on the ground. You're yeah, <laughs> yeah. There's it, it's periodically throughout the the book. There's these like references to like, kind of like more less fantastic like everyday life, uh-huh. like that, like that one short, really short story. I think it's called So Small, uh-huh. which is smaller like a uh-huh. smaller still, yeah, right. Uh, which is like like obviously like a love letter to your to a spouse, uh-huh. like about how like. And like it's like this, like it's almost like an infomercial, like a commercial, of like how you have a long-term relationship, you know, <laughs> like how do you keep it interesting? Yeah, yeah. which is very sweet, I thought. And, yeah. Uh, huh. that, yeah. That stems directly from my relationship with my wife. I mean, like we're not crazy people or anything like that, but we. Well, yeah. Just, that 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 was that was one of the like least fantastical like uh, l- least out there stories uh, in a way you know yeah. even though it su- suggests all these like fantasy scenarios uh, yeah yeah huh 
So you knew, uh, or so like once you knew you weren't going to be a, a pastor, <laughs> then, then you decided you were going to be a writer very quickly. Like, at at, at what age? Well, it, again, this goes back to that argument in grad school. Like, I've never assumed that it would be anything that would be a a profession for me. You know what I mean? And so the the dream was. And it was a modest dream. It was, or I thought it was modest at the time when I was 22, mm -hmm. that I would bust my ass, get tenure, and if anybody would publish my books, it would be, you know, great. Uh -huh. um, and uh, I never imagined having a readership because I say really weird stuff all the time, you know. So yeah. it's like, um, so it was actually, uh, I, oddly, everything inverted. It was like my first couple of books were utterly despised. Yeah. And I was an adjunct professor, and then I went and went into advertising and mm. worked in marketing for years in Philadelphia mm. and during the course of that two of my books were treated very very well like mm. one was before uh, it was it was called We Go Liquid and it was like it went the one about the email from from right. your deceased mother yeah right. yeah and um, that one went it would have done better except that the publishing the publisher closed down yeah <laughs> um, it was actually over um, it was during the at the very beginning of the recession, mm. um, they had more orders for the book than they could fulfill, uh, um, and so the the distributor asked for like a an advance on returns, and they just didn't have it, and so they went under. But it was like, uh, um, and then that actually that situation led me to call Jonathan at Featherproof and say, "Do you know if I had any recourse here?" Because yeah. I, I knew him vaguely, yeah, and I knew that Featherproof was doing good work and. Jonathan was like, no, I just think you better send your next book to us instead. And that's how I ended up with them. Yeah. And then that book was for a short story collection, which really an indie short story collection, yeah. did really well. So it was very strange because I've always thought, if there's one thing I will say in, about myself as a professional, I think I'm a really good teacher. Yeah. Um, but what was weird is I had to give up teaching in order to have a stable life, like mm. because there were no tenure track jobs for me or anything. So you taught in in Pennsylvania for a while before yeah. doing advertising. Yeah, I was a lecturer for a couple of years, and um, at one of the schools I was a lecturer at, which was the dean was great, and it was a good school, and but the, they kept dangling this like permanent position in front sure. of me for a long yeah. time, and it, after two years, I realized that it was just not going to materialize despite my dean's wishes. Yeah. And, um, so I was like, if I'm ever going to buy a house and have a kid, it's time to get a stable day-to-day -day job and that was always like that was always kind of the goal where you were headed was yeah it was i mean and that's the thing house is like, kid yeah and it, well i mean it was actually that was a that's part of the weird symbiotic relationship with my wife it's mm. like um the house was that uh philadelphia was cheap enough at the time mm. that it was just like might as well own a house yeah. um and the kid was uh it was weird because i was always more of a homebody than my wife mm. and then she was just like i want a child now <laughs> yeah, so. Um, and it worked out, and it was like it's been a. Well, there is such a thing as biology. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but we we ended up, you know, that way. And uh, but so it was weird for me because there was this mild acceptance of my books, which I had never anticipated, mm. and I didn't have an academic career. But now that I'm, that actually extrapolated into opportunity to teach, and so now I'm up. So the. the so Roosevelt came about because they they knew something about your books. I think it was. Um, there was, there was an awareness of my books, but oddly, the fact that I had been in uh, the corporate world for years helped my application because I'm the director of the program, and so they needed somebody that could do the administrative stuff too. Ah. 
And so it was actually because I had walked away from teaching that I was made, able to get the position. Yeah. So, do you, so is there any ever any kind of tension or like clash between like the kind of writing you do and what you're teaching that kid, these kids? That was a that was a worry when I because I I mean like you know I don't know how you would teach somebody to write the stories like <laughs> like you write. I don't think you could teach somebody to do that. We yeah. Not that you should or shouldn't like <laughs> like but I don't know that how how you would go about uh, teaching that. Well, on, the, on the pedagogical side of things, yeah. I don't believe that you could teach anybody to write any kind of story. Right. And so the way we set up workshop is like each each author has their own individual vision, uh -huh. and our job is not to make it more like what we think a story is, yeah. but help them fulfill their vision. Yeah. And so that's why we don't, like, I, if you're looking to do, like, well-made stories, you don't come to my program. Yeah. Um, but if you're looking to fulfill the vision that you have in work, we can help you with that. Huh. But then on the other side, my, my stuff tends to be really dark. Yeah. It's not a good advertisement for, like, hey, want to come work with me? <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, one of my mentors in grad school was Brian Evanson, whose stuff at that time was just the scariest, bleakest stuff that you could yeah. read. Um, and he was also the most generous, you know, nicest guy. He basically was like a counselor for half the program, too. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and so I don't think there's necessarily a disconnect, but when I went to Roosevelt for my interview, yeah. you had to do a reading. And yeah. so I, I read some aggressively dark stuff to be like, yeah. so, so like that there could be no question about whether they had hired them. <laughs> you know, yeah. under false pretenses. That's funny. Yeah. Hmm. And yeah, I mean, yeah, we, we talked before, you know, like, you know, my, I got to know you probably just from coming to this bar and like, you know, you always sit in the same spot and you've got a, like, you've got a routine, you know, which I like, I like, I like watching people that have like their own, like, kind of like, it's sort of a regimented, like, it seems like a regimented life in, in a certain way, but like, but then like, it's cool to find out like what people actually do, you know, like, um, do you, um, where was that? I was going somewhere with that. Um, fuck it. Totally lost that train of thought. Uh, oh, uh, yeah, about yeah, dealing with all these uh, these small presses and the expectations, like you know, like having an agent, not having an agent, and like uh, you know, we're we're at a point where like this, the whole publishing industry is in to seems like in total chaos to me. I don't know. I don't know what you feel about it and expectations of how many books you can sell or what 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 kind of like whatever cultural cachet you can get out of publishing something. Like you, you said, like you didn't have any expectations of fame, but like what what ideally would you expect? Like huh. is is there an ideal like whatever? Huh. Um. Either either of your readers or of some yeah. sort of worldly acclaim, I don't know. Like you uh, know, we we know. <laughs> I mean, this is one of the good things about Chicago, right? Yeah. Because we know people that do make their living as fiction writers, right? right? And then we know people that have been at it for decades that probably have never received a royalty check, right? Yeah. And 
one of the cool things about here is that at least in my experience, people mm. don't hire like create a hierarchy mm -hmm. personally, right? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like you can go up to so and so or so and so and they'll just treat you like a person who thinks identifies as a writer. Yeah. And I um, what I want to be is I, I did this because I want to be a part of the conversation that is fiction mm -hmm. and the only way you can be a part of the conversation that is fiction, there's a literary conversation where you can be a critic or just an admirer or whatever. Yeah. But to me, writing fiction is the way to be a part of the conversation that is fiction. Mm. You know I mean? And so, uh, and it was always you know, fiction was always the sort of like goal or the. I mean, I did a lot of poetry when I was an undergrad, but, oh, okay. it was, but um, it, and I wasn't writing terrible poetry. What yeah. what I realized was that I could not. Figure out. I, sometimes I would write a good poem, and sometimes I would write a bad poem, mm -hmm. and I could tell the difference, but I didn't know how one had resulted and the other hadn't. Uh, Whereas with fiction, I can tell, yeah. and I know how I can make it better. Mm. And so, but yeah, it's, I mean, it's like I want to be a part of this conversation, and I think that uh, the the only thing that I would ever demand is uh -huh. that my contribution to be taken seriously, or mm -hmm. like as you know, as part of. At a basic respect for what I've done, right? yeah. Um, money would be really nice, but it, you know, yeah. uh, but I don't. Get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, at, at least like comparing the uh, awful possibilities to Ghost Engine, like Ghost Engine seems at least surface-wise more accessible uh -huh. I would say uh -huh. I don't know if underneath it is but like surface-wise like they're they're easier to enter like uh -huh. these stories whereas like in awful possibilities there are stories where you're plunged into uh -huh. total darkness and it's very hard <laughs> to find like uh -huh. there's pieces you can kind of see like flickers but like mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. The, I think part of that is I, that, I don't know like I, I don't know how to classify what's experimental and what's not right. but you know uh, like I, because I don't I totally backed into the the literary world you know like uh, through some fucking weird side exit you know uh, but <laughs> yeah uh, yeah I think I would uh, say I can you know I can always get in a weird contest with somebody if they want to but like the thing is, is like the Awful Possibilities was different for two reasons one is that it was um on the on the most obvious level like i was i was mostly written during the aughts you know um during the bush administration and a lot of the the culture around me was largely nihilist there was not like a, a productive and i don't i don't i don't say this as a judgment you know? yeah and it was like there was not a lot of sense that we could change anything yeah and there was this like you know gender gen, generally a feeling that um we're gonna do what we can for each other yeah um, but this is very dark and very ugly yeah you know i mean and it's weird because we're having this conversation now yeah 12 years later and then it looks that way again but the difference obviously the difference for me is that I had a kid yeah like, this as is written as a, obviously as a person yeah, with, with a child and a, yeah. so you're forced to think about the future in a way right. that like <laughs> single people don't yep. yeah yep. yeah that's and I the, think that yeah. combination also led on an artistic level I think I have 
I enjoyed being out of control with the awful possibilities. Mm -hmm. I was like, I yeah. could lash out in every direction and blah, blah, blah. And like the, um, the reason I think this is easier to read is not because it's any less weird at its fundament, but because I was like, I'm going to control this. And like, I think I had got to this place where I could, I don't know how desirable this is or how long I'd want it to go, but I felt like I could execute what I wanted to say. You know yeah. I mean? like, no, I've never, uh, like, all the, in either of the books, I don't think you were ever, you didn't ever strike me as, like, trying to be weird, uh -huh. which is a really <laughs> annoying fucking thing for writers to be doing, uh -huh. to, like, to weird people out or uh -huh. whatever. Like, if this is just the way your your mind works, uh -huh. you know, for yeah. better or for worse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you end up places like yeah, uh, but yeah, the, yeah. I mean, I I went to Ghost Engine very quickly, and like there was you know, although and like you're saying, like even though like the some of the, the structure seemed at least on the surface easier, like yeah, the, the ideas are where it was going. Like yeah, there's there's plenty of darkness in there. <laughs> you know, like you didn't skimp on the darkness. So what's speaking of darkness and stupidity? What's the fascination with Ayn Rand? Where did that start? Or <laughs> like, and like, you know, I'm very fond of telling people that unless you're like a teenage girl, you have no fucking business. Like, I understand why being a teenage girl it would be empowering to read Ayn Rand, but like, if you're not a teenage girl, you have no fucking business anywhere near that shit. You know. <laughs> it's a, the fascination I think was um, I actually I mean like when I I because it's a, it's a high school rite of passage right yeah yeah um, and people pushed the fountainhead on me and I despised it it was like a um, but, great great movie <laughs> oh really you ever seen the, the movie Gregory Peck one yeah oh, oh it's nice. fantastic nice. I mean it's like unintentionally funny but uh, like it's him posed in front of a bunch of skyscrapers and <laughs> Rourke <laughs> but that that was the you remember they. I don't know if you remember, but when we were in school, like the objectivists would try to recruit by like having an essay contest for. Um, they, it was like a good amount of money. It was like a scholarship, like really? a five thousand dollars scholarship if you want. Huh. And I was like, I actually, after reading the Fountainhead, I wrote this article. Rand had that whole like moochers versus looters, and I was like, or moochers and looters versus yeah. you know makers. Yeah. And I was like, well, what if everybody actually thought that they were Howard Rourke? You know what yeah. I mean? And so I wrote this <laughs> essay about like. The social good of Ellsworth Tui, who's the supposedly the villain in that book. Oh, yeah. And I was like, um, it was ridiculous. And like, I knew I would never win, but I was like, from a philosophical perspective, it was actually the only way that you could have a good society is have, um, yeah. like, if everybody was the genius architect or believed yeah. themselves the genius architect who could blow up their building if they want, you know what I mean? Yeah. It would be an insane society, you know? <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, like, Honestly, I didn't think much of her from, like, I, I read the book in maybe 92, uh -huh. and didn't think about her again until the mid-aughts when I realized that a whole generation of politicians and policymakers had actually grown up taking that work seriously. Yeah. And so I was like, well, what if, you know, my small town, like, had, a, had an Ayn Rand book club? Mm -hmm. And the problem was, is that I felt uninformed enough that I had to go back and read Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, so you had to... It made me dumber. It was yeah, yeah. like... Man. And it's like 5,000 pages <laughs> yeah. long. It's like, it's like a... It's yep. a doorstop. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that might have delayed the writing of this book oh, really? by years because like it took me forever to read it. And when I was done, I was like... Because that's the... I, I, 
is it the longest story or the, yeah, is yeah, a, it's the, the longest story I've ever written. Okay, yeah. I mean, it's like it almost made me think like you could have probably written like a whole book about like you know <laughs> you could have expanded it into a book. It also sort of made me think of a little bit of that that show um, Silicon Valley. I haven't seen it. Oh, you should. Yeah. They they make a lot of jokes about these tech bros and their like ideas about like like the Uber guy like uh, these people that have very very kind of libertarian crazy lunatic fringe ideas about uh-huh. huh. what society should be like <laughs> yeah nice. and it's it's uh what's his name uh it's mike judge you know like oh, who, oh, yeah yeah it's mike judge huh. you know who wrote it uh, who made idiocracy uh-huh. amongst other and beavis uh-huh. and butthead but so he's got, he's usually got a pretty good take you know like on the pulse pulse of the culture uh-huh. yeah i'll check it out yeah uh <laughs> No, but yeah, it's like these, like, kind of like these hateful dorks in basements, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, like hatching plans. Uh-huh. But like, yeah, you could you could have thrown like, you know, all these other horrible developments like incels, you know, uh-huh. like, you know, yeah, yeah like people yeah. like making up ideologies out of being losers, you know, like, well, I mean, like you have and you have this really weird scenario where like. The nerds have triumphed, right? Yeah. And yet they, the, the the narrative is still that they're the underdogs. Like I know. It's really weird. It's really weird. Like, <laughs> yeah, so, you know, I grew up in the 80s and they had movies like Revenge of the Nerds, <laughs> which plays so strangely now because <laughs> those people are not the outcasts. They won. Uh-huh. You know? like. Yep. Yeah, I used to have this coworker. They won and it turns out they're not such nice people or as, <laughs> as, 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 you know, as sensitive as we thought. Uh-huh. You know, like... They're like given given a chance that they're the same fucking fascist assholes that everybody else that gets power. You know, like like he, that 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 that's definitely like there's a human nature component to that. Like like once you get in charge, you know, there's very few King Solomon's out there. You know, like yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah most of them are not. <laughs> well, shit, that that probably about covers it for. Had enough. <laughs> Was there anything else you were, you were uh, dying to talk about that I didn't ask you about? No, <laughs> no that's great. Yeah. Thank, questions yeah. and Thanks for celebrate your art. Yeah, yeah. Let's turn this shit off and uh, yeah. Cool. Thank you.